This is the coolest show brought to you by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. It's the coolest show you know. Keep the culture connected. It's the coolest show you know. In your ear, yeah, respect the expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Cream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just train. Open your third eye, now the world is your off. Coolest, coolest show you know. It's the Hip Hop Caucus. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to The Coolest Show. If you're hearing my voice, I know this is not Rev Yearwood. (laughs) This is Destiny Hodges, the the assistant producer of The Coolest Show, sitting in today. And I have the honor of interviewing and conversing with Daryl Scott. Hey, Daryl, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. Hey, thank you for being here today. Um, I'm excited to get into this conversation. I know we've only met once (laughs) prior to this conversation and we didn't get to discuss everything because of time so hopefully we we get things here um but a question that we always have the coolest show is who is daryl scott and who is your community yes i am wow that is that's a good question um who is daryl scott i'm a designer i'm a daughter. I'm a multi-hyphenate creative, if you will. Um, I'm a sustainability scientist. That's my academic background. Um, and I'm the founder of Earth and Color. And who is my community? Um, you know, the the community that I feel like I'm a part of is also the community that we serve through Earth and Color. And I like to call us the Black Regenerators. And mm-hmm. so I can explain that you know, in more detail, but the short of it is just folks, primarily 20 and 30 somethings, but black folks who are really passionate about healing, um, healing the earth, healing intergenerational traumas, um, healing ourselves, you know, are passionate about progressing this world and creating a just society. So that's my community. That's beautiful. Wait, get get more into the black regenerator since you said you'll get into it later. Let's get into it now. What is that? Yeah, so I've been I've been doing a lot of thinking about the word sustainability and how um I want to go beyond sustaining. <laughs> I want to regenerate. And so there's a lot of work in like the agriculture space that speaks to um you know regenerative agriculture which isn't only just like maintaining but it's literally renewing and like, you know, reviving. And so that's, that's the word regenerator, Black folks who are really just like, like literally obsessed with healing and just thinking about just like my friends and, you know, my peers who are, you know, meditating, doing yoga, like all of the things to really take care of self, to really be well. Um, And even just like, in all of our work to fight for a sustainable, just future, there's a lot of conversation about taking care of self to fuel the movement. And so I, I, I'm just really passionate about, um, yeah, that aspect, just the healing aspect of it all. So yeah, my community and the community that we're building are people who are also excited to do that. That's beautiful. Um, we just did an interview like maybe two episodes back with Sustainable Brooklyn and Whitney McGuire and Dominique Drakeford gave a, a woo, like a holistic definition of sustainability um, that I would encourage folks to go listen to, or even you if you haven't, that I really aligns um, with a lot of a lot of the things that you're saying. And I think y'all would 
y'all should y'all should connect. So I'll do that. Um, <laughs> also, you mentioned Earth and Color. What exactly is Earth and Color? Why is it needed? Who's featured and why? Yeah, we are a creative studio and media platform focused on blackness and greenness. And I founded Earth and Color after I finished grad school. Um, we were founded in 2019. And for the past couple of years, obviously, <laughs> the pandemic really shifted and honestly, like, refocused our work. But we started out as an art festival and over the past couple of years, really focused in on our storytelling work. And so as a creative studio and media platform, we're combining creative storytelling, recipes, and nature experiences, all in service of our mission to strengthen and affirm Black cultural connections to the natural world. And, you know, who's featured on um, our platform are Black folks. (laughs) Black folks, writers, artists, um, and our team is made up of predominantly Black women, actually, but Black folks. And um, our our work is all centered around this idea of the diverse and expansive experience of Blackness and greenness as told by Black folks. Hmm. So is this a primarily U.S. thing? Is this a diaspora worldwide? Absolutely. Good question. Yeah, we're primarily in the U.S. right now, our focus. Wow, that's, that's so dope. I think in terms of storytelling, a lot of things are at the root of narratives who wrote the narratives, who finds meaning or value in the narratives, and where does the narrative place certain individuals or certain identities. Um, So I think storytelling is such a key part of the work, um, especially as Black folks, because we come from oral traditions uh, where storytelling is is an art, (laughs) is a craft, it's a way of life. Um, So yeah, can you you speak more to, to storytelling and um, how that is critical to to the work or critical to movements or just critical to to life? Yeah, um, we really see storytelling as our way of like rewriting the narratives of how black people can be in this world and be connected to the environment. Um, my background is in sustainability science and environmental science. And so I was very much steeped in college in the environmental field. And just thinking about the stories that were told about what does connection to nature look like? Who are who are the environmentalists who care for the earth and and who have been in community with the natural world? Those stories didn't paint Black folks in, in the way that, you know, I saw. I'm, I'm from the South. My family's from South Carolina, um, from the country. And so seeing how, you know, my family coexisted with the land and just hearing those stories and also just like reading literature about it, I didn't see that as like the mainstream narrative of how Black folks connect to the natural world. And so... For me, I really see the power of storytelling as rewriting those narratives, but really rerouting us in our history, in our culture. Um, and it's it's really, really important. Um, and, and you're so right. Like we have very much a tradition of storytelling, oral traditions. And actually one of our storytelling series is called Unearthed. And it really centers around these oral traditions. We're interviewing people or families about their land histories. And a lot of it is 
oh, my grandmother used to say this, or I remember this. And we're really documenting and archiving those, those stories. So that's definitely a part of the work that we're doing. Yes. Ooh, powerful and critical work because archiving, like it sounds like a lot of what y'all are doing is a process of Sankofa, Afrofuturism even. Um, um, by Sankofa, meaning envisioning or constantly remembering how the past informs the present and how the past yeah. and the present inform us to shape the future that we want to see. It's more than that, but um, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> in the context of Afrofuturism, what is Afrofuturism to you and how does that connect or play a role in Earth and Color? Yeah, I mean, precisely what you said, you know, really imagining futures, mining, you know, our history, um, and really at the intersection of like Black liberation, science, you know, technology, art. For us, it's like art, story, creative, Black liberation, and futures. But we really use that Afrofuturistic lens to almost transport people into those futures that we're imagining in the same way that, you know, other Afrofuturistic text or, you know, uh, creative assets do. And so for us, we see our work as bringing um, really liberation into the present, bringing joy into the present. You know, it doesn't have to be something that we dream of or imagine. It's like it's here now and it's been here. Um, and so that's really a overarching lens that we take to all of our storytelling. Mm. I know for some people that could be hard to like really sit with or imagine, especially when, multiple, when many of us are constantly under the weight of so many oppressive systems. Um, so what, what does it look like tangibly to bring liberation and joy into the present? Like, what, is, what does that look like manifested and, and how does that um, happen within Earth of Color? Absolutely. I think that, well, first I'll say, I'll acknowledge that, yeah, so many of us are in the thick of it like really in the thick of it. And it is hard to imagine something different, something better, something that's joyful and healing. And so I appreciate you for saying that. And we as a team always think about how we can acknowledge that, acknowledge history, acknowledge the oppression, and acknowledge the trauma, but also create a space for us to tell stories of joy. Because if Black people going to do anything, we're going to laugh, we're going to, you know, have joy, we're going to joke, we're going to smile. We kind of, that's just a part of our culture. We're just an, a resilient group of people, honestly. And so we often bring that to our work. So even when we talk about historical trauma, when we tell stories about, you know, Black land histories, we talk about the joy um, and we show that you know, nature isn't the oppressor and that nature throughout history has been really a grounding and, and nourishing source for Black folks, for our community. And so in a lot of ways, it's not ignoring that, but it's showing people that even amidst all of the the trauma and oppression that we think of when we think of our history, there was so much resilience and joy that came from our connection to the natural world. Oh, yes. Alignment. Alignment. Um, so who is the audience for Earth and Color? Is it exclusive? Is it touch a few people? Is it for everybody? You know, you said primarily U.S. based, but who's the audience? Yeah, we definitely have that focus on the Black regenerators, the 20 and 30 somethings in the United States. But our audience is, even though we have that focus, we really want Earth and Color to not feel like a niche community that's only for a specific group of people. And so anyone can engage, even non-Black people, if they understand the focus and what we're centering and what we're doing and are down with that. Um, but yeah, our our 
our lens and our, our, our community can be much broader than that. It's just kind of what our focus is. Um, so it's, it's not ex- exclusive. And we hope that we don't just touch a few people. We want this to really be a mainstream conversation. A part of our theory of change is using media, storytelling, creative to really shift culture, to, you know, change the cultural conversation about what Black cultural connection to the natural world looks like. And so we imagine this being a a larger movement that really permeates Black, you know, the collective Black conscience, if you will. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of, we got to do better at not being at silos, (laughs) which is part of the purpose of this show. Um, Because, I'm sorry, DC, um, because there are a lot of (laughs) movements and a lot of people branching out and building safe spaces or developing ideologies, frameworks, um, and movements or movement spaces to do a lot of this work. Um, Because this also sounds really similar, right? So I said Sustainable Brooklyn, who has a very robust, holistic, and grounded definition of sustainability that's rooted in Black, Indigenous, um, and melanated um, theory or ways of life. Um, and I think here, like you're also talking about Afrofuturism, world building could even be said, yeah. um, finding the joy in the present, uh, finding liberation in the present um, and process of Sankofa. And then there's Generation Green and environmental liberation, which is a practice that also kind of weaves throughout several of these things about, yes, we do have an inherent connection to land, um, we do have an inherent connection to one another. We have been displaced um, and that mm-hmm. we have a right to, to be liberated in all means. Um, and, and we strive for that. And that's centered. And there's an interconnectedness of, of everything because our identities are so robust. Um, so mm-hmm. there, is, there is no silo um, for, for issues for Black folks, for Indigenous folks, um, for marginalized people. Um, everything is compounding. And where do we go to find a lot of our our solace, a lot of our grounding? It is nature and our historical connections to the natural world and those spaces and understanding that and many for many people we are one with that. Like it's it's not a separate thing. And white um whiteness <laughs> does so much othering um that it yeah. it makes everything external and separate. So I, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. And there's just so much work going on around it that I hope more of us build community um, to, to center that and to move forward together, um, which is a I lot of what so. you're doing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. really the goal is for us to be that hub that brings together all of these resources. You know, right now we actually just relaunched our website um, and we're on version one and we have more things that we want to add that really make our digital home a hub for all of these resources so that it's not just you come to Earth and Color, but you're seeing what all these other mission-aligned organizations are doing at this intersection of Blackness and greenness. So I totally agree with you about how do we pull our network together, our ecosystem together um, to show that there is a larger movement um, that's that's going on in this space. So I totally agree with that. Yeah, I think um, Leah Thomas from Intersectional Environmentalist, and I'm, I'm bringing in things in um, very intentionally because I think like some of these episodes, I don't want people to silo the information or the individuals, but to, to weave things. Leah Thomas, who we've yeah. also had on, um, has described in another conversation I had with her, intersectional environmentalist is really like a, a movement connector. Like, you know, and I think this is similar here 
basically presenting information, um, values, like where do you align? Here's how to go get involved, engaged. Here's how to get politically active. Um, and here's how to have a safe space for people to be in community who have like values or who want to see the same things or who just want to be free. Hell. <laughs> so yeah, to get exactly. back to, yeah, to get back to earth and color, all interconnected. Um, I think you spoke to this a little bit, but how does earth and color improve narrative stories and the impact of our voices and environment? And I'd love to hear more examples from, I think um, you mentioned a series where you were archiving, like give us some of the, some of the details of like stories featured on the site or just how the narrative is really being shifted in some of the work. Yeah, we, I have, shout out to my team. I have an amazing team. We're a lean team, but we, we make it happen. We make it shake. Um, but um, yeah, our editorial strategy is that we have a range of storytelling series that hit on different aspects um, underneath this umbrella of blackness and greenness. So we have our eats vertical, which is plant forward foods that really connect us to the environment, connect us to culture, but also help us create a just food system. We have um, our unearth series that I talked about that's documenting and archiving and uplifting Black land history through interviews. We also have a featured voices section that where we bring in contributed voices because honestly, Blackness and Greenness is so diverse and expansive. We can't, we can't cover it alone. And so that space for community to come in and tell their stories, contribute their personal narratives and things of that nature. Um, we also have an Earth Curiosity series that is at that intersection of Black science, innovation, earth. And so we really have, are really building that world. What is that world of blackness and greenness? And what are all the kind of aspects? What are the nooks and crannies that we can hit on? And so we had a story in the spring, um, well, we're currently in the spring. So this spring, um, I'm already in the summer because you know how editorial works. You already, you know, you're a month ahead. But this spring, we, um, we dropped a piece um, about George Washington Carver's legacy, but what we did was we talked about his, you know, his story and and you know the ways that he used legumes, peanuts, and all of his like innovation to heal the land from cotton and mo- monoculture. So he's literally the father of like sustainable agriculture. People don't talk about it. We gonna talk about it. Um, but also, we just got into the science. Like, okay, we talk about how brilliant George Washington Carver is and many of our ancestors in this, you know, land space. But we went into the science and literally talked about how legumes fix nitrogen in the soil and how that means that you don't have to add artificial fertilizers. And George Washington Carver knew that and he gave that knowledge to Black farmers to help them not be reliant on you know, white folks who were not giving them those farming resources. So we really try and shift the narrative in that way and and show the brilliance and the innovation of Black folks. So that's one of the stories. Um, and then another story that we have from our Unearth series is a conversation with a mother and son who are from rural West Virginia in the mountains. Um, and they live in Appalachia, Black folks in Appalachia. And so they just told this beautiful story um, about their home on the Holy Mountain is what um, 
the mother, her name is Miss Sheila. Well, I call her Miss Sheila. She's like, call me Sheila, but I call her Miss Sheila. I, I got to respect Black women, but um, <laughs> I got to call her Miss Sheila. But Miss um, Sheila just talked about their really deep connection to um, their home on the Holy Mountain and also just like the natural environment around them. And her and her son, JP, they just tell, y'all should totally read the story because there's so much vivid imagery um, that they pull about their life in rural Appalachia. But also we partnered with an illustrator, her name is Kelsey Thomas, and she actually brought a lot of those images to life of what life was like on the Holy Mountain, um, taking inspiration from photos that they submitted to us um, to actually illustrate. So that's, that's one of my favorite pieces. And we actually conducted that interview in 2020 when everyone uh, was quarantined. And that's when the series actually started. And, you know, we were already kind of mulling over this. So anyways, I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but that just kind of shows you the breadth of, you know, how we're approaching Blackness and greenness. Um, yeah, in a, in, a, in a complex way. Wow, that's beautiful. I, I love us, um, especially <laughs> employing the illustrator too to bring it all to life. Like this is community, giving back to each other, creating space for one another, creating opportunities, and hearing yeah. one another. Like deep listening. Ooh, like yeah. that's, that's just so beautiful. I'm sorry, I'm, that was really yeah. Um, <laughs> it made me think about like my connection to land. I kind of got a little emotional because I'm from the South. Um, I'm from Alabama, so I come from a line of sharecroppers, tenant farmers, um, alchemists, seamstress, so on and so forth. And so thinking about George Washington Carver and the, the whole Appalachia, I'm like, wow, like land, our relationship to land. Yeah. Um, I'm doing some genealogy right now, so I was just thinking like deeply. Like I'm trying to figure out whether or not we inherited our ancestral land from the former plantation down the street. I don't know yet, but you know, land. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We need to tell your story. We need to have you on. Uh, let's talk about this separately, but yeah, we should totally feature your story as you're kind of unearthing. I mean, that's what the series is called, but, and, and it's really a call to action. Like, that's the point for people to hear it and be like, oh, I need to call my granny. Hold on. Let me call my yeah. granny and ask her these same questions. That's the exactly. whole goal. Wow, that's so beautiful. Um, so I also saw on the website mentioning that you all do nature-based experiences. Can you tell us a little more, a little more about that? Yes. Um, like I said earlier, we started out as a festival. I, when I founded Earth and Color in 2019, I did not know we were going to be doing storytelling and media. <laughs> I, I'm a, and and I you know, but because of the power of media and story, that's why we're leveraging it. And, you know, so we're, we're doing it now because for an intentional reason, but I didn't realize at the beginning that that was the journey that we were going to be on. Um, we started as a festival and as a designer, I'm, I really see myself as like an experienced designer. Um, and so we did the festival and I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to be creating these really unique um, nature experiences for Black folks to really immerse themselves in our connections to land and place. And so that's what I started, you know, thinking Earth and Color was going to be. We had a dinner in the woods. Um, and I was like, oh, we can have these plant forward dinners. I made all of the, the, the food and we had a really beautiful night um, in Roberts Regional Recreational Area in Oakland. And then we did a few pop-ups um, at, in Oakland on, on Lake Merritt. And so we were really just like creating these experiences for people to like 
feel into that connection to the natural world. But then the pandemic started. <laughs> and so um, we really had to shift how we can create experiences. And so we decided to do a print publication. And so that's when we started to kind of bridge experiences with media and storytelling. Um, and that print publication is such an experience. It's like tactile. You got pages that you literally can rip out. There's a, a, a Mancala board that we created, but it's found objects. So you rip out the board and you take it to your local park and you're like foraging for acorns and rocks and gems and things. So we really started in this experiential kind of creative space. Um, and it's something that's like really foundational to what we do. And even though we put our experiences on pause, we really want to bring back our dinner series, dinner in the woods or dinner on a farm, dinner on the beach. That's that's the, the goal. And we also want to have a festival as well. Um, and really the, the idea behind those experiences is bringing the what's happening in the digital space in real life and community um, because I think that also is a uh, is really important. Like you seeing yourself in nature, feet in the soil, you know, feet in the water, but also seeing other people healing and being joyful, you know, that also rewires your brain and and really makes you kind of crave that feeling. Um, so yeah, that's 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 what we do for our experiences. Um, we're hoping to bring them back here soon, um, but right now they're still on pause. Wow. That's beautiful. And yeah, you know, like there was a world, there is a world, but the world definitely existed before social media and internet. Like I was having a conversation with my friend the other day and I didn't realize I never said it explicitly, but I did not grow up with internet or technology really for like the first seven years of my life. I was outside. Yeah. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. in the tree. Exactly. I was, I was in the dirt. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because I was like, my generation, um, our generation is kind of like the last, like wave before everybody started growing up from birth with like technology. Um, So I was saying that and I was like, wow. And then to your point, like with the merging of nature-based experiences and and digital experiences, like so much of nature is our story. It tells our story. Like literally if you chop down a tree, like the rings tell you the story of the tree's life, like how long it was there. Or if there's a river and there's a drought, like you could see marks, you know, along yeah. the mountain or the soil to tell you like how high the river was or you carbon date stuff. Like literally so much of our story is told by nature. Like even with the climate crisis right now, it's telling you the story of what has happened, the raping, the yeah. pillaging of land to even get to this point, you know, and the people who are being affected, like, yeah, so much of our story is in nature. That, yeah. that stuff would be said that. Is in the um, land. And when you begin to um, really experience nature in a, in, a, in a way that really kind of unearths your innate, like, cultural, spiritual, ancestral connection to nature, that's something that's really powerful. Um, so, yeah, that's something that I've actually been thinking a lot about. How do we have nature experiences that really get to that deep place, that really connect you on a deep level, that aren't just, like, about conquering you know, mm-hmm. the, the natural world, because I think that we 
often um, in society bring a lot of the same kind of ideas around exploiting nature into our practices uh, when we engage with the natural world. And so it's something that I've been thinking a lot about, like how do we use those experiences to build a deep reverence for the natural world and to remind folks that we are nature ourselves. (laughs) Like, you know, we're a part of this system and we need to be in, you know, rhythm with the natural world. And that's one of the reasons why we actually tell stories based on the season. So we drop, you know, Mm -hmm. a collection of stories every season and it's inspired by what's happening what, like, what's happening in nature and what do we need collectively in that moment in time? And we want to bring that into our in-person experiences too. Like it's the fall. What does this mean for us as earthlings? You know, how do we need to be right now? Um, and that's something that's very like, you know, an indigenous way of thinking, you know, being in tune with nature and having that reverence for what nature is, which is like, literally our umbilical cord, you know, like we couldn't be here right now if the trees weren't, you know, exhaling for us to, you know, inhale, for example. So yeah, that interdependence is something that um, I want us to remember um, is a part of our culture. Yeah, I saw on your site, um, like the area for pitches where you were describing like what was going on with the seasons, so the type of stories you were taking. And I was like, wow, this is beautiful. Um, Because I do a lot of things personally with like the calendar of the year, like with the seasons, like for example, winter ish is kind of like a time for remembering reflection, like ancestors, so on and so forth, rest. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I love to incorporate that in, in your storytelling. And also a lot of what you're speaking to kind of goes into my, my next question, because when talking about the relationship to land, like personally, I'm finding it more and more difficult. Um, the more I decolonize or practice anti-colonial ways, to even be on certain land because I can feel like the, the colonization. I can feel the, <laughs> the unrest, especially being in DC. Whew, like, you know, mm. yeah, about moving, but it's, it's rough. Um, and I've been in certain places where like, I've, I've went to the continent. Um, I went to Nigeria and it was just totally different. Like I felt so at mm. home, even though it was culture because that colonial, it, like it's it's not the same. Um, they were colonized, of course, but like their systems are totally dip. Like it's just different, and it's a homogenous society. Everybody was black, so it was it just felt so freeing in the context of land um, and the practices with the land. That was just a very different experience here. So to kind of bridge all of that, what you were talking about, how does Earth and Color disrupt colonizer or colonist narratives about our community? Um, even even more so what you were just talking about with like the nature-based experiences or some of the archiving that you already mentioned, um, like how does it disrupt those narratives or rather what's missing in the mainstream narratives about Black folks um, or Indigenous folks um, from, from that's what's like the difference between what's missing and what you do and what you tell? Absolutely. Um, Well, I think one of the first things that is missing from the narrative is that idea that we are nature ourselves as humans. And that's a very, um, well, even the concept of nature, the non-human, like that's not even the ways that our ancestors even thought about being on this land, you know, but using our current language to describe it, um, 
yeah, what's missing is that idea of us being, you know, connected to the natural world because we are a part of the natural world. Um, Mm -hmm. And something else that I think is missing is this idea of cultural healing. Um, And when I was in college, I remember sitting in classrooms and um, just thinking about like asking like, why are, you know, black, like, why aren't we in this conversation? Or even when I was like talking to my friends who weren't studying what I was studying about, you know, the earth, there was a lot of trauma in the ways that they kind of talked about the land or wild spaces, you know, bad things happen there. Black people don't do that. You know, the list goes on. And I realized that there is a lot of trauma, inherited land trauma that is rooted in colonization, in slavery, in being displaced from homelands. Like that Mm -hmm. is what has tainted in a lot of ways our relationships to land and place. And um, I, I really want us to remember, and this is something that Earth and Color is seeking to add to the narrative, that like nature was never and is not the oppressor. And nature has been implicated in our oppression, but nature is not the oppressor. Um, and I think it's it's something that has like really set with me. And it's something that I always try and think of, how do we tell that story of nature's healing, but also we are nature and nature is liberation. And this is a part of, you know, how we progress as a community and, you know, as a society. Um, and so I think, the the notion that because of that history, there needs to be cultural healing within our community to renew our connections to the land. That's a concept that's not widely talked about, but it's critical. There's all these technological solutions to climate change and policy solutions and, you know, but there's a really big hole. There's a gap when we talk about culture um, and no one wants to talk about culture because then we're going to have to talk about anti-indigeneity and anti-blackness and colonization, but we need to have those conversations because I really think that's the key to really transforming this system and solving climate change, if you will. Ooh, well, you said a word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. on culture because I was thinking about you were saying, you know, nature is not the oppressor. And I was like, yeah, that's facts. And Nature has been used as an instrument or tool in our oppression. And that's absolutely we get get rocked because absolutely Mm -hmm. for some of us, that's all we know is that tool or instrument of oppression. We've never to your point about cultural healing. We've some of us have never been able to experience nature in the ways that our ancestors did, like in pre-colonial days or some of them do now. Um, that is very, we are, we are one. There's no separation. There's a respect. This is how we interact. Like some of us have never known that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, to your point about nature is not the oppressor. Woo. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. And I always say that like, you know, we've experienced, uh, we've been oppressed like through our environments, on our environments, in our environments, but like the environment is not oppressing us. It's yeah, it's a tool to oppress. Um, and to marginalize and to harm and to violate. So, yeah. Wow. Ooh. Oh, man. <laughs> this conversation is rich. Um, so <laughs> as a creator, um, as a creative, uh, tell the audience, like, is it possible to be climate famous? And are you that? No. <laughs> no, I'm not famous. I'm not 
trying to be famous. Um, I'm about the work. I'm about the healing. Um, I think it is. I think it is possible, but I don't strive for that. And no shade to people who are and are using that also as a way to move a mission forward. But that's not my portion. <laughs> period. Period. Um, so who do you build, create and innovate with? Like, are there other people that our audience should be connected to through your work? I know you mentioned an illustrator. Like, who are some other folks that you're building um, and creating with? Yes. So what's really exciting is I keep saying this, shout out to my team, but we're a lean and mighty team, but none of this work could be like would be possible without collaboration and contributors. And so every single story is really a collaboration between like a writer and an artist, whether it's an illustrator, a photographer, videographer, et cetera. And so all of our pieces are bringing in, excuse me, bringing in community. So yeah, I mean, I could name, there's a whole list of people who like contributing writers who um, supported or contributed to our spring drop and illustrators and photographers. Um, I shouldn't list them because if I miss somebody, I'm going to feel bad. But if you go and look at, what'd you say? We do a couple shots. Okay, I'll if okay. So if you're listening and I didn't include your name, I'm sorry. I don't mean to to do that. Okay, so on the Earth and Color Eat side, um, which I haven't talked a lot about, which maybe we can put a pin in, um, but. Um, I created, I developed most of those recipes, and I collaborated with one of my two of my good friends. Justin Weathers is a talented photographer. He shot most of the food photography on film. And then I had my friend India McGuffin come in. She was doing food styling and she's one half of Pursuit Design, which is a, oh, like from day one collaborator. Um, and they actually developed Earth and Color's very first art festival. They did the design for that and they designed the print publication. So they're our, our partner for designing the print publication. Um, and then as far as contributors for our featured voices series, which as a reminder, it's where we're bringing in people who can tell stories and contribute a range of pieces um, about blackness and greenness. We have Sarah Dershi, who wrote a piece on um, the lessons from the water as a, as a black surfer. We have um, Teju, who did an environmental analysis connecting um, her life in California and her and also in Spanish town, Jamaica, and just talking about that connection and, and just land and environment. Um, we also had some poems by my sweet, sweet friend, Makesha Tolbert, such a talented poet. Um, and we also had illustrations by Riley, Raleigh Clark, who, um, illustrated three of the poems or created like spot illustrations for Macacia's poetry. Um, and then we had Joshua Peters who did photography and videography for Sarad's piece. So, and then we have illustrators that it's just the list. And then Kelsey Thomas that I mentioned, I, I know I'm missing somebody, but that's the idea. Every single season, it's a collaboration. You know, we have a large like group of people who are making it happen. So that's, that's how we work. Yes, it's community. It's beautiful. So if you're listening, you got a list of folks, <laughs> you know, you got a list of folks that you can reach out to. They're doing some incredible work. Um, yeah. I love that. It's so beautiful. So with the amount of, you know, doom and gloom woo, in climate and environmental work, um, how can Earth and Color help people now and in the future? How does the art lift people out of this doom and gloom, lift people out of this current 
reality and for what purpose and in whose tradition? Yeah, there is a lot of doom and gloom. (laughs) There really is. And, um, you know, for us, we see art as, you know, a way to see joy. That's, that's really it to, to just, I mean, we, we got to talk about the doom and gloom because got to move through it, but I think there's definitely room for joy and healing. And so for us, we, yeah, we see art as a source of inspiration, as something that um, refuels people, you know, refuels us as we fight. You know, it's like, we can't keep, you know, we, what does the Nat ministry always talk about? Rest, (laughs) you know? So earth and color in a lot of ways is a, a respite for people, a hub for being refueled and reignited in your connection to the natural world and, re- you know, reminding you that that, it, that connection grounds you and can be a source that really continues to kind of fuel you, you know, in your work to move movements forward for justice, for sustainability, for regeneration. Um, and yeah, so that is definitely, you know, something that's, you know, part of our work and how we kind of combat that doom and gloom. Because honestly, even just thinking about energies and frequencies, like that can't be the frequency that we're on all the time. It truly can't. Um, and so we want to offer something different for people to to sit in. Yeah. Wow. And I think we've, through this conversation, spoke to the purpose and whose tradition, um, like all throughout this. Um, oh, yeah. There's also a lot of content out there. Like, you know, it's just content everywhere, especially we're in age of social media. So what is good content? Yeah. Um, and how do you know when you've created good content, like in the creative process? Yeah, honestly, as a startup, we are constantly asking ourselves these questions. And also social media is changing every day, every week, every month, new platforms, new algorithms, new setups, (laughs) new ways of capturing data or not capturing data, protecting privacy, what people, you know it, um, and so we're constantly asking this question, but I think, you know, there's two sides of this. We're a creative studio. I'm a creative and we work with artists. And in a lot of ways, it's like we're creating works of art. That's kind of how I see it. Everything that we're doing is art. And in some ways, like you can go into the process and say, oh, this is this is good content because it's artful and I'm excited about it. But our mission is to use art to heal. And if people aren't, if it's not hitting for people, is it good content? Is it good art? I don't know. It's good art, but maybe it's not the best content, you know? And so we're using Mm -hmm. content in service of a mission. We're not just creating content just to create content. And so for that reason, I think for me, I know the content is good um, when people engage with it and people are inspired by it and people are change their lives as a result of experiencing what we're doing. And then that's what we keep kind of doing, you know, and I think it's not us changing our, like, you know, what we focus on or changing our scope or, you know, things like that, but it's changing the format, you know, how we get, you know, the, the content to people, how we teach those lessons, how we educate, how we inspire. Um, so yeah, uh, that was a long answer to just say it's based on how people respond and, and how it hits. Um, and then we just kind of keep doing that. But we're always asking ourselves these questions. And we just relaunched on Earth Day. And so yeah. this this season is a, it's experimentation. It's us seeing like, oh, people really like when we do this. Okay, this used to be hitting, but it's not hitting no more. We shouldn't do this <laughs> in the summer. And so that's kind of where we are right now, constantly really evaluating 
what's hidden and what's not. <laughs> wow. And see, this is where culture, <laughs> culture, the intersection of culture. Um, and yeah, the intersection of culture is what really hit there for me. And to that point, we know the importance of Black media, right? And Black creatives. So were there any challenges in starting Earth of Color? You know, like what's what's going on and how are y'all taking care of yourselves? Yeah, <laughs> it's been a huge challenge. Like the whole, you know, I think right now entrepreneurship is kind of sexy and everyone's like, oh, I'm gonna be an entrepreneur. But it's hard, you know, entrepreneurs say, you know, it, it looks, it's, it's very difficult. You know it. Every person that you've interviewed knows, like, this is hard work. Um, and just like driving movement for it, it like it's hard work. Um, but also like there has been a lot of hard work that was done for generations before me that got me to this place. So I'm not saying I'm not complaining. I'm just saying it's, it's been a challenge. Um, but that's life. But, you know, one of the biggest ones is really funding. Um, and we know that black creativity, Black art, Black businesses are underfunded. Black women especially are underfunded. And so funding has been, you know, a big, you know, challenge for me, but it's something that I'm trying to navigate and also just figure out what's the right business model for Earth and Color to still be grounded in its values while also generating revenue because of the current system that we're in, you know? And so there are different business models that require different sacrifices. And it's something that I'm like right now, (laughs) you know, just thinking about and trying to consider what way we should move forward. Um, But throughout these challenges, there have been so many mentors and allies and organizations that have really supported Earth and Color. And so I have to shout out Grist. They are our fiscal sponsor and they're also, um, I'm their first entrepreneur in residence and this is giving me the container to do this work. And so, um, yeah. There's challenges, but there have been so much support, you know, to help me really move through these challenges, but it doesn't take away the challenge. <laughs> yeah, look at that. Period. A black woman as Chris's first entrepreneur in residence. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> Period. Um, <laughs> here, squeezing me and my ancestors. Uh, <laughs> uh, last, like, two questions. What's the story or the vision of the future that you're fighting for? Like, can you paint us a picture of that? And how do you keep that sense in the work that you do? Yeah, I mean, the future is, I don't have a lot to say. It's really joy and healing, you know? That's that's the future. Um, And joy and healing of people and the earth and the land. um, And us having a really empowered relationship with the more than human world around us. That's that's the vision. Um, and that's kind of unwavering. So I'm always grounded in that and reminded of that in everything that we do. Yes. <laughs> I've just been hearing the, the words non-human and more than human world a lot recently. And I'm like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so Shout last out to my question. friend, Emirio. Shout out to Emirio. Emirio introduced me to that more than human world. And I've just been using it because I, yeah, it's not just nature because we are nature. So I like yeah, to now use more than here. Yeah, shout out to Mirio. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry, I interrupted you. <laughs> I, love that. I love that. Um, So what resources and tools um, can you provide to support bringing us to fruition through Earth and Color? And then also how can people support you? Where can people find you? Where can people find Earth and Color? Yeah. Um, 
So, I mean, one, if folks want to write for us, um, pitch us, um, do any type of artwork, photography, um, collaborate with us, partner with us, reach out. We are funded. So even though I said funding's a challenge, like we can, this is compensated work. Um, and so if you want to partner with us, this is something that we invite and would be excited to build with you. Um, and as far as tools and resources, you know, this earth and color can really be a container for creation. And so if you have an idea um, that you want to get off the ground, maybe it's a piece that you've wanted to write or maybe you're a photographer and, you know, want some resources to actually go do this, you know, photo shoot in nature or, you know, otherwise, um, Earth and Color can be that hub for creating. Um, we're a creative studio. And so we can kind of you know, incubate ideas in that way. Um, and then to contact me, one, you can DM us. Our Instagram is at earthandcolor.co. And then you can email me at daryl at earthandcolor.co as well. Um, if you want to just reach out and build and be in community or just like share reflections or share joy, <laughs> whatever, um, I'd be happy to to chat. Wow. This is such a beautiful conversation. Um, very rich and very critical work and something that you alluded to is that this work should be healing. And when there are spaces and work and content that really, really help us heal, like we should lean into that. So that's me yeah. telling folks that our funders <laughs> fund this work um, or people who yes. have means to support, support this work. Uh, this is someone, this is a space, this is a creative studio to support. And I'm so happy that we could support you here at The Coolest Show through this interview, through this conversation, um, through this community. And hopefully we can find ways to continue to do that offline. Yes. Our guest today is Daryl Scott, the founder of Earth and Color. Um, and I am your host, filling in for Rev Yearwood, <laughs> Destiny Hodges um, on The Coolest Show. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being in community with us and tune in to our next episode. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to repeat. It's the coolest show you know. It's the coolest show you know.